It is Wednesday, the 22nd day of February 2023, and we are back in the motherfucking broadcast palace. That's right. Up and running. No longer a fire hazard, apparently. No longer uh, <laughs> running off a 15-amp circuit for the whole 180 square feet. Uh, not without a hiccup or three, but we're back. Uh, it feels great to be back in here on this momentous occasion. I was trying to think of a word that was equally as powerful as momentous, but meaning the exact opposite, and I really couldn't. So there you have it. Anyways, this momentous occasion... Episode number 150 of the hashtag World's Worst Podcast. What started as just a dream for a 42-year-old boy who was laid off and then bored as hell during a global pandemic is now a labor of something approaching love and loved only by a select few, a literal few. Here's the thing, and I've said this many, many times before, but the commitment to this shit and to keep this shit going is entirely abnormal for me. I've barely committed to much of anything throughout my life. But because I have this odd obsession with having a microphone in front of my face, just keep on rolling, right? Now, I've had the great fortune to interact with many, many very interesting people through this stupid show. Interesting people, interesting characters. And I'm thrilled that today I get to add another one to that list, uh, the author Robert Dean, who I got to interview uh, actually a couple weeks back now uh, for his upcoming book, Existential Thirst Trap, released May 8th. You can pre-order now at barnesandnoble.com. It's a great conversation with many tech issues, which only adds to the, the greatness of, of, the, uh, of the talk. Uh, Pantera comes up which is great. Punk bands, pop punk also comes up. So listen, stick around. It's worth uh, sticking around for. In total, this thing's probably going to be a couple hours long and I don't give a shit. So I'm talking about all kinds of crap that I'm now a week behind on talking about, including the big game. Rihanna getting all the whites worked up. Medieval times, East Palestine, Ohio, getting railroaded figuratively and literally. More sports with a Z. Jobs with a Z. <laughs> and a whole host of other shit that you don't care about. But I'm asking kindly to stick around for the interview. It's good. And that's all right here, right now. See? See what I mean? That's all right here, right now, on episode number 150, fuck yeah, of Complaints and Observations. Still, the most less than average podcast on the internet, with a host who's the smartest person in the room, when he's the only one there. A continuing odyssey into mediocrity. 
guaranteed to make you question your life choices and your own sanity. This is Complaints and Observations with Dave LaPointe. Who the hell is Dave LaPointe? I think he's a bum. I think he's an absolute bum. All right, what's up? What's shaking? How are you? How's things? Good? Yeah? All right. Um, yeah, so back in the old broadcast pals. Very excited to be here. Um, the electrician... Uh, that I had to hire to come out and and fix the problem, diagnosed it as a uh, bit of a sloppy hack job originally, and uh, with with what was essentially forty plus year old wiring just buried in the ground. Um, so, you know, that's going to cost a pretty penny to fix. But the poor guy, super nice guy, uh, found him. Entirely uh, randomly through, might have been Angie's list. I can't remember what it is, but a uh, very nice guy, somewhat local. And he came out and he essentially had to dig a, a trench in the ground to rewire uh, the shed here. And man, I, I I think that he actually I should I shouldn't say I think he did say to me, you know. Two day job, but probably only you know we may not even need much of the second day. So I'm like, oh okay, th- terrific. I was uh, very excited about that. I'm thinking, all right, I can get, I can spend my Friday workday uh, in my office, in the shed. Uh, and you know, it'd be good. Sitting at the dining room table was literally killing my back and my hips. On no joke, no joke. I'm fat and I'm old. So I need to care for these, you know, these these hips. Uh, so he comes out and he got the fucking uh, trench digger, and he's digging. And sure enough, uh, you know, he's he's the route that he took was the direct route from the house to the shed, but he neglected to count on uh, the old tree that's in the backyard having gargantuan fucking roots. So what should have been like a, a four-hour dig, ended up taking the poor guy like two days. And he didn't finish. So he started on a Wednesday, didn't finish until probably 5 o'clock on Friday. So it was a fucking, it was a lot of work. You know, and at one point I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm just watching him, right? And he's visibly frustrated. Yet I'm on the phone with some old lady uh, who, you know, wants to go to New Zealand but doesn't know where New Zealand is. And it was right there that I'm like, man, this this poor guy's digging a trench. But you know what? Probably not nearly as stressed out because he doesn't have to deal with people. And I'm sure that's not like a... Uh, some sort of uh, revelation of any kind, but it, it was something that really just sort of struck me. 
right then and there. So, yeah, but uh, but it's done for now until something else breaks in here. Knock on wood. Um, you know, of course, one of the one of the interior lights doesn't work because you know why? Why would it, right? So that's a bummer. But it's still cold as fuck. Hopefully, sometime in the spring, the doors will be replaced. I don't even know why I'm bothering to, to give you like the update on on my fucking piece of shit shed. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, anyway. So, yeah, I missed last week mainly because I didn't have a place to, to record, um, you know, with, I, I couldn't do it on the on the dining room table anymore just because there were you know people in the house again. My wife was home. My mother in law was home. So couldn't really do it. So here I am back again to talk about the Super Bowl, the big game. That was an excellent game. And honestly, I did not give two shits who won. I really didn't care. But that was a very entertaining football game. I think the Eagles kind of blew it. I think that the refs kind of ruined it. Not entirely, but just kind of ruined it. Um... Like the hold at the end, when I watched it again, it wasn't just one hold. Like he held the guy, Bradbury held him twice. And so I think they flagged him for the second hold. So, you know, you you almost had to flag him there, and that was the end of that. But Philly's defense was not that great at all. Couldn't stop a one-legged Patrick Holmes. Patrick Holmes? Patrick Mahomes. He's essentially operating on one foot, one leg, whatever. Not that I fucking care. And and they couldn't stop him. They just couldn't do it. And on the other side of the ball, with the, the Philly offense, they were rolling. Jalen Hurts probably played his best game as a pro in the Super Bowl. That kid could have been the MVP, and no one would have batted an eyelash. That's how good he was. But I would say my favorite part of the of the of the the Super Bowl was the halftime show featuring Rihanna. No, it had nothing to do with her music. It had really nothing to do with the fact that she showed up pregnant, which I found sort of interesting, but. There were two things that made that made this uh, a very entertaining halftime show. One is that I don't really think she gave a shit. <laughs> like, I really don't think. I think she cared enough, but not as much as, uh, you know, past performers, right? Because when you look at Super Bowl halftime performers, they're always these massive, over-the-top productions, uh, you know, numerous multiple songs costume changes 8000 dancers this that, and the other you know she had you know some some sort of uh, stage works uh going on so much so in fact in the very beginning i'm like oh fuck that's not even real that's not real that's fucking computers that's computers but i just don't think that she put a ton of effort into it. And look, 
here's the thing. I could be 10,000% wrong because I'm not familiar with her, her live, her live show. So I don't know, but I got a kick out of it because it looked as if she didn't give a shit. The other thing that I found wildly amusing is the number of, of these just fucking stuffy puritanical white folks who are just mad because she's up on stage, uh, you know, touching herself. It's not like she's fucking finger blasting herself on stage, people, right? Like, grow up. Were you expecting something different? What were you expecting, uh, puritanical white conservative folks? I mean, I don't understand. It, it's it's strictly a case of of being mad for attention. That's all it is. And then you put your madness on on social media and be look at this. I have kids. What am I supposed to tell them? You tell them uh, that 120 million people are watching her do this. 120 million people are watching her do this. And that she's making a shitload of money doing it. Not a single dime was paid by the league for her to do that. Not one dime. But she made millions of dollars the following week just from streaming. And if you were at all familiar with how much money artists make from streaming, you'll realize just how many times people listen to her fucking music over the course of the following week. You know, and then, of course, it's all part of a timed uh, campaign effort. You know, she's on the cover of Vogue and on the cover of something else and then the cover of something else. And her lingerie line sells more lingerie and she makes even more fucking money. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. You make people mad, you're going to make money. That's how it goes. But, you know, you just needed something for the white people to get mad about. And I think she did a hell of a job with that. But yeah, the game as a whole, not bad. Not bad at all. Um, <clears throat> it really sort of outlined the fact that uh, the Patriots aren't really going to be able to do anything if they keep Mac Jones around. Yet, at the same time, if they do get rid of Mac Jones, what are they going to do? It's, it's, it's a, it's a no-win situation, right? And as much as a lot of people around here don't want to admit it, Bill Belichick got so fucking lucky when he was smart enough to draft Tom Brady in the sixth fucking round and then realized what he actually had in Tom Brady, Right? There's a, there's a little bit of luck in there. A lot of luck in there, as a matter of fact. And I'm not sure if he can uh, strike gold twice. So, uh, all you people telling me that Bailey Zappi is the second coming? Nah, I don't think so. He's a Lilliputian, and uh, he's probably the same output as Mac Jones. That's why I am all in on them fucking trading their entire draft for Lamar Jackson and then paying him whatever the fuck he wants. Give him... Give him his own parking space. You know, it wasn't a good joke to begin with, and then I butchered it by 
<laughs> Give him a parking space. You fucking asshole, David. God damn it. Give him whatever the fuck he wants. Like, give the Ravens whatever the fuck they want. Hey, you want Mac Jones too? Great, here he is. You want Bailey Zappi? Sure, here you go. Uh, you want, I don't know, who the fuck can you give up? Give up anybody. Get Lamar in here, pay him whatever the fuck he wants, and then build around him. Because that's, that's, I mean, I don't want to say that's the only way you're getting back to the Super Bowl, but that's just one, I think, suggestion or idea. $250 million guaranteed. Guaranteed. It's all yours, Lamar. Here you are. Throw something in there, though, that if he gets hurt, he loses some money. That's it. I would love that. But that's what they need. They need the guy. Because half of the AFC has the guy on their team. There's too many teams with really good quarterbacks. In the division, there's Josh Allen, who's very good. Tua Tungavailoa and his scrambled brains are very good. The Jets, well, they're the Jets. And they'll probably get stuck with Ryan Tannehill or some shit. And guess what? He's better than what you've got, Bill. And he stinks. Sports. All right, let's talk about everyone's favorite subject. Labor. That's not true. It's really not. But... Last week, Buena Park, California. Dateline. Dateline. 12 February, Buena Park, California. Well, it's, I'm off on the uh, show sucks already. But, hey, 150 times in the fucking bag, right? Huh? Uh, employees of Medieval Times in Buena Park, California, went on strike walking out after their final scheduled performance on Super Bowl Sunday. Apparently, the the employees at this particular Medieval Times joined the American Guild of Variety Artist Union to, quote, create a fairer, safer, and more enjoyable workplace at Medieval Times castles across the country, end quote. Uh, I believe I've mentioned on the show multiple times how much I thoroughly enjoy Medieval Times. I think it is like uh, a quality few hours of entertainment, decent food, no utensils. I get a kick out of it. I've been three times. I love it. And so when I read this, I was like, wow, this is that's that's crazy. But they make a good point, right? So the reason that they, you know, unionized is they were trying to get a new contract to help them with a few different things. One, equitable uh, pay scales and opportunities for advancement. I'm not entirely sure what that's supposed to mean. 
if if it means you want to be able to advance, uh, you know, for the opportunity to, to become king or queen, well, I would imagine that's a long wait before you, you know, rank from, you go from stable boy to king and or queen. Although, honestly, if that happened, Medieval Times is missing out on a really good fucking storyline. Just saying. That one's for free, Medieval Times LLC. You have a guy who started in your castle as a stable boy. Or someone who ran out into the middle of the fucking ring and uh, scooped up horse shit. And then, you know, two, three years later, he's the king. That's a fucking, that's a dynamite storyline right there. Should use that. So the pay scale thing, I get. The opportunities for advancement, I don't. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, two, foster a respectful work environment. No-brainer. Absolute no-brainer. The company should be like, you know what? You're right. We should make sure that this work environment is good, that there's no bullshit, there's no uh, nonsense going on behind the scenes. You know, that kind of shit. Nobody needs that. And then finally, address safety concerns. And to me, this might be the biggest one of all, because look, you got motherfuckers riding around on horses. Somebody falls off a horse and breaks a neck. Now, my guess is that they sign something that says that medieval times can't be sued. But, you know, uh, I'm sure there are numerous lawyers that have poked holes in something far better. Now imagine, you know, the story that would come out if somebody falls off a horse at medieval times, breaks their neck, and they have to, you know, evacuate the the arena. (laughs) They have the asshole (laughs) in character. (laughs) Leave ye castle, peasants. Flee. I don't know. I can't remember what they said when when it was time to leave. But fuck, I mean, that would not be good, right? That is negative press. And then imagine if afterward you find out that, you know, the company had fucked around with uh, safety issues. So what are you doing? It just kind of adds to the the nonstop growing list of ways that the average American is being fucked. That is not to say that the average Americans, uh, that every average American is equal, because I don't really think that's the case, right? I think there are people who don't deserve uh, to be treated better than the way that they're treated for for a variety of different reasons. And quite frankly, I don't know why that came out of my mouth the way that it did. I'm not entirely certain that's really what I meant, but... I think it, it's based on when you cut off your nose to spite your face, right? So when you're voting against your own best interests and, uh, you know, shit like what happened in New Palestine, Ohio, where you had a, a, a train derailment and then the, uh, the burning of a highly highly just disgusting uh, chemical. That Highly disgusting is not the word I was looking for. Uh, dangerous 
an exceptionally dangerous chemical. They burned five fucking cars uh, full of this shit in the black smoke that, that went out to the environment, now causing all kinds of fucking problems. But, you know, it just goes back to the company who owned this train, uh, Norfolk Southern Rail Rail Corporation, or whatever the fuck it's called. Norfolk, I hate that word. Oh, man. Everybody has a bunch of words that they can't fucking say. That's one of mine. Norfolk. Man. Just doesn't want to come out right. But, you know, they have their fucking lobbyists in Washington, and they've they've spent millions and millions and millions of dollars to try to strike down any safety improvements, any uh, employee improvements uh, that you've seen over the... Anything that's come out in the last decade has been struck down for the most part, with the exception of a, a breaking uh, legislation. Uh, that that the Obama administration passed that only had a like I think it was like a five year uh, shelf life. You can't quote me on that because I don't fucking know. Again, not uh, a railroad safety expert, but you know, you have people in the state of Ohio who they know full well that the shit that is fucking coming through on their rail- railways every fucking day, every day. And so many people work on these railroads, right? And they know full well that the companies that own the tracks and the companies that own the cars, they don't give two fucking flying shits about the employees. Yet, what do they do? They keep voting for the fucking Republicans that don't, that, that equally don't fucking care. They're voting against their own best interests. Now... Here come the fence riders, folks. Here they come. Here comes this comes the fence riding. Fence riders. Yeehaw. Joe Biden, Pete Buttigieg, uh, also don't give a flying fuck about railway, railroad, railway workers. Don't give a fuck. Railroad workers went on strike back in the fall. Or, or threatening a strike because, you know, they wanted to be able to get a day off without, you know, uh, having to go broke. The pay had been cut so many fucking times. They're working way too many fucking hours. Uh, the number of people that they lost during COVID, those numbers weren't recouped. So when you used to have, say, I don't know, 300 at a rail yard doing inspections on cars, and now it's cut in half. And then what happens is the safety checks that are that used to be three minutes are now 90 seconds long because they have to keep these fucking things moving. And then what happens? You have an accident like this that is an absolute environmental catastrophe. And it took, would it take a week? Before the president said anything, uh, even longer for Pete Buttigieg to finally say something, he published a, they published a letter that he wrote. <sighs> a letter. Really? Like, that's, that's what you're going to do? You're going to sit down and pen a letter, you fucking jack-off? Yeah. 
put a fucking gas mask on and go to, to New Palestine at the very least and actually pretend like you give a fuck about these people who literally just got mustard gassed for Christ's sakes. The livestock's dying. The water's poisoned. Their pets are dying. What are you doing? You know, and your your uh, solution is to, uh, you know, in call for f uh, larger penalties for accidents like this. The current maximum fine. You know what that is? The current maximum fine, right? Like for a singular fine for a singular incident. Not the entirety of the incident, but it's $225,000. That's the penalty. That's the fine. That's the max. So in this particular instance, you know, you're looking at basically however many cars derailed. Uh, so, I mean, what do you, what are you thinking? Maybe two million bucks? You know how much money Norfolk Southern, uh, you know what their revenue was last year? $12.7 billion with a B. Billion. But, you know, inflation, right? Every corporation on the planet has seen record profits. Yet, oh, it's inflation. It's all Joe Biden's fault. Fuck you. It's a myth. It's price gouging across the board, and it has been since the jump. But the rampant cronyism and continued deregulation within the state of Ohio ultimately led to this. And that fucking jerk-off of a governor, Mike Devine, what a fucking bag of shit he is. Yikes. Come on, man. Having uh, reporters arrested for trying to ask a question? Fuck you, man. You know how much easier this all would have been if somebody just came out from the beginning and said, look, uh, this was an accident. We fucked up. But of course, that opens everybody up to lawsuits, and that's what everybody you know. Everybody hates. Let's clog up the courts with lawsuits. Bah, lawsuit. Bah. Instead, you're gonna have people in the next five to ten years that are gonna they're gonna be very sick, and it fucking blows. Small town Ohio, like the picture of uh, angry America, angry blue collar America that. Uh, you know, wanted their factories reopened and voted for Trump because they believed the bullshit that was coming out of his mouth. And then you have a president who, you know, likes to portray himself as being a guy who wouldn't do such a thing. Yet here he is doing such a thing. But we're worried about balloons in the sky. So we're going to waste 22 million bucks every time we send an F-22 or F-20, whatever the fuck it is. I'm getting my 20s mixed up, but whatever. It's millions and millions of dollars into the fucking uh, upper atmosphere to shoot down a balloon that may or may not be Chinese, that may or may not be a, a spy balloon. Like, get your fucking shit together before you, you, you start this wag the dog bullshit. At least make it believable. Like, sure, you shot down the balloon. I don't doubt that there was a balloon. And I don't know, I don't doubt that the Chinese are being fucking sneaky and nefarious about it. But Christ almighty, have some, you know, do a little bit more work here. The whole thing just fucking stinks. It stinks to high heaven. And I hate it. 
Because it shouldn't be like this. But because the only thing that matters in this country anymore is a fucking dollar. That's it. That's all that fucking matters. And if you ain't got it, you're fucked. Good luck. All right, as I mentioned, uh, I am very excited to welcome a guest this week. Um, and what I need you to do, you know, if you're not willing to to tell your friends about my show or, uh, you know, support me in uh, in any sort of meaningful way, what I can ask from you then is to support someone else in a meaningful way. Uh, and that someone else this week is going to be uh, the author Robert Dean. And uh, as you'll hear in this interview, his new book, Existential, Existential, fuck, I cannot talk. That's another word I fucking hate. <laughs> existential, existential, existential thirst trap. And it's funny, you'll hear in the interview, like, I'm pretty sure he, on a couple of occasions, drops that first word and just refers to the book as Thirst Trap, which is funny. And I just realized that. But anyways, uh, Existential Thirst Trap is coming out on May 8th, and you can get it at barnesandnoble.com. A friend of the show, Donnie, suggested that I say, uh, use promo code complaints, and then, you know, it obviously isn't going to work. Then, he's like, then he says, uh, you know, see how many people actually reach out to you and say, dude, the, the promo code isn't working. <laughs> it's a great idea, but I want people to actually spend the money to buy the book, okay? Like, I got a uh, an advanced copy. I'm still going to buy the book. So you should buy the book, too. I'm asking nicely. It's not expensive. Do it at Barnes & Noble. Don't do it at the other place. But anyways, here he is. Uh, here's my interview with Robert Dean. Check it out. Uh, Robert Dean is a journalist, raconteur, and self-described enlightened dumbass, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, his work has been featured in places like Eater, Yahoo, uh, Austin, American Statesman, USA Today. He's appeared on CNN and NPR, and is the editor-in-chief for Big Laugh Comedy, Texas's premier comedy production company. Uh, he lives in Austin, loves ice cream and koalas. Only one of those things is found in Austin, but I'll, I'll let you figure that out. I lifted all of this information straight from the back of his, uh, from the uh, back cover of his new book, Existential Thirst Trap, available May 8th, and is currently available for pre-order at barnesandnoble.com. Please welcome to the show, uh, Mr. Robert Dean. How you doing, bud? Howdy. Robert Dean is also uh, sick, so for anybody listening, this is what I normally don't sound like, but we're all do we're all dealing with cedar fever here in Texas, or at least central Texas. He, he usually sounds um, much less cool, uh, I would imagine. Yeah, I don't usually have the Tom Waits button pressed. There you go. Nice. Um, all right, so uh, you were kind enough to send me um an advanced uh, e-copy of your book and i read through uh most of it i love the way that it, it's basically just a bunch of uh pieces that you've submitted previously so um i'm curious that you know how did the book come together what sort of was the uh the reason that you started to to do it this way um 
I so for years I've always been a journalist and I've always done journalism work, and then uh, at the same time I was writing fiction, and I'd never felt like I belonged in the fiction world. I just like I had stories in my mind that I wanted to tell, and I did. I have two fiction books published, and I sold a bunch of short stories over the years. But then I started working on this crime book a couple of years back and I could never get it right. And I got frustrated with it. And then there was kind of this like aha moment because I was reading like David Sedaris and I was reading um, some like Hunter Thompson and things like that. And I was like, why don't I do that? That's what that's the stuff that I think would be interesting. And then I kind of just went full force into essays. And so for the first time and i've said this before i fucking hate the way gen z talks but like for the first time i felt like i was seen mm -hmm. and between my uh essays and my journalism kind of like becoming this venn diagram of who i am as a person because sometimes i'm in the story sometimes i'm not but like you can always tell who i wrote it and that was the first like when i did that i felt like i'd finally figured out who i was as a writer and so this collection was me like I'd ha I've had some success doing that and so um the collection was me finally being like all of my heroes because all my literary heroes don't really write fiction they're all like all of mine are like Charles Bukowski Anthony Bourdain uh William S Burroughs Jack Kerouac um Hunter S Thompson like all those dudes and all my favorite writers right now are have me for uh Kise Limon and Samantha Irby, they're all talking about their life from their point of view. And I was like, I finally felt like I'd arrived at a place where my life experience, I could do like what they were doing. And so that's kind of where I arrived with wanting to do the book. Yeah. And it's it's funny that you answered the question that way, because my <sighs> my next question or, or comment was basically that the, the way that you write is very interesting and I, I like it. Uh, and if I knew more about writing or author styles, I'd give you better examples, but I'm just a plain dumbass. Um, but like that's Chuck what I wrote Klosterman. the book for. There you go. Love it. Thank you. Uh, Chuck Klosterman came to mind at one point, but then I remember that I grew a bit tired of him after the Boko Puffs book. So um, your description of the book says equal parts Sedaris and Bukowski. So, you know, you've already mentioned it and then you mentioned Hunter Thompson too. So you clearly feel a heavy influence by both. And it's it that sort of led you to write the way that you write. Am I am I way off in that assumption? No, it's those dudes were always um an influence on me. And I've just always been influenced by like living authentically. Like I'm a good time Charlie. I got fucked up last night. Like I like going out. I like seedy shit. I like every corner of the darkness of humanity. Goddamn technology. You're currently frozen. I want to see if this bounces back. Because he was talking about the seedy shit. And he mentions in his book that when he goes to a new city. Yeah. <laughs> when he goes to a new city, it immediately asks the locals, uh, what's the shittiest bar in town? And that's where he goes. Um, so I'm curious, curious to, to hear a little bit about that if he does. If he does drop back in here. <laughs> Anyways, the book is called Existential Thirst Trap, and it's coming out on May 8th. Uh, you can uh, go to Barnes & Noble 
Amazon.com. Pre-order the book. Collection of essays. And again, the, the way that he writes is indeed very interesting. Um, you know, he threw at a whole bunch of authors, none of which <laughs> there he is. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna switch rooms right quick. Okay. All right. I was taking the call from the record room. Yeah. And uh so hold on one second. I just gotta go get my yeah, no problem. Can, I gotta get the plug for my computer. All right. We've That'll moved rooms. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, you know, it's real time shit. Mm. If you can if you hear that clicky clacky, that's my dog. Oh, nice. Dogs are welcome on the program. Uh, here we go. This will be much better. It's on. There we go. Now, what, what, nice. what was the question? <laughs> well, it's funny because when you when we froze, you you mentioned you know I'm a good time Charlie. I got shit faced last mm -hmm. night. Um, and then I, I immediately thought to a, a part in the book. I wish I had kept a note there, but you had mentioned that. When you go to a new city, the first thing you do is is ask, "What's the shittiest bar in town?" And then that's where you go because that's where you find the most interesting things. So I don't know if you want to just kind of expand on that. It was in my question, so I you know go for it. I'm curious as to why you feel that way. Other than you know that's just the shit you that you like. And we've frozen again. <laughs> Technology. Yeah, there he goes again. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the world's worst podcast brought to you by me. Why don't I have that like that? Good thing I'm recording this. And, you know, the number of times I recorded something or tried to record something. I don't know what the fuck is going on today. <laughs> Just not your day, dude. Apparently not. No, or sorry, no. It's... no, it's fine. Don't sweat it, dude. It's okay. Um, it's my luck. So if it was anyone else, you'd be fine. It's me. So don't worry about it. Um, all right. I'm going to just skip to my next question. Just maybe that's the problem. So uh, again, the book is called Existential Thirst Trap coming out on uh, May 8th. You can follow him on Instagram literally robert dean one word uh to learn even more the the essay a coffee shop in a strange city you, you say um you talk about the american experience being found inside of a diner and i didn't really think it was too far off but the line that really struck me is when you said quote we sign our names with grease in this country one crinkle cut french fry at a time end quote and i found that so absurdly accurate that it's almost odd that i hadn't heard something along those lines before how did that jump into your head and what is it about the diner experience that just really sort of it sounded like as if it really opened up your your way of thinking just when you sort of put the two things together like america and the, and the american experience and a diner um i think that everybody kind of has a diner experience like before you turn well i grew up in chicago and in chicago can you hear me? Nope. Can you hear me? Ah, there it goes again. Uh, yeah. So I mean, if you want to just kind of you know pick up from there, I'm, I, you know, you mentioned uh, you grew up in Chicago, you had your diner experience. I don't really have 
out here, I, I live outside of Boston. You know, there's only a handful, at least that are still open. So that sort of scene doesn't exist anymore. It's a, probably a little bit of a different, um, I don't know, mentality here. So I'm curious as to what, 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 what's the draw for you, uh, and how, how exactly you sort of came up with that. I mean, obviously, I'm not going to ask you how did you come up with that line, but uh, I'm sure something happened that kind of struck you that that's how you came to that particular line one of the things about the coffee shop is that i mean in chicago we have these like greek coffee shops that are everywhere like a diner is ubiquitously chicago like you can grab a 24-hour steak and eggs anywhere in the city and even in the suburbs it's just like a part of our culture so you get real used to like you're like oh it's three o'clock in the morning i want a cup of coffee and smoke a cigarette you could do that in chicago for the longest time can't smoke a cigarette indoors anymore but you could just go grab something to eat read your book and drink coffee all night long it wasn't a big deal and then in our 20s before you go to the bars we would go to denny's all night long and we sit there and bullshit we meet people from other high schools and stuff and that was kind of the agreement that we you kind of socially make when you can't go to the bar you don't have anywhere else to go mm-hmm. so um i got really reflective about those times and like there is a certain kind of magic when you're feeling either really lonely or you're kind of fucked up in your own head of just sitting in somewhere and having a cup of coffee and like reading your book or scribbling the notes that are in your head and those are like some of those fuck damn it he's enjoying that answer so much fuck (laughs) existential thirst trap may 8th you can order now on barnes and noble Uh, hopefully Robert will come back on and then maybe I'll uh, switch gears or uh, there he is. I'm going to restart my computer. Okay. Yeah. If you want, that's fine. No problem. Yeah. I'm going to, re- no, we're getting this right. I'm going to restart my computer for some right. reason. It just keeps dropping and I don't know why. Yeah. It's, it's, so. it's my face. That's what it's doing. So, so yeah, we were talking about you, you just kind of getting into the, the, diner culture of chicago and uh yeah trying to think of where you left off basically no, I mean, I, it's like i said diner culture is the thing that if you're going through some some shit in your life you need that moment to just sit and have a cup of coffee grab your notebook and scribble down your thoughts or read your book diners provide you that because it's 24 hours it's not a bar where somebody's bothering you you can just kind of sit there and be left in your element because who's in a diner at three o'clock in the morning either drunk people or sad people and good good way to put it it's kind of just that's what it is i mean there's something magical about when you're going through something like i said if something's bad in your life or just something heavy or you just need that like just to be away from people there is a certain kind of that smell of coffee and ceramic that like idea of you know grabbing like either a Reuben or something at three o'clock in the morning when you just kind of want to be by yourself. There, there's heaviness to that, and there is also validity to it. Mm. That was great. I mean, honestly, um, like I said, I, I I was not lucky enough to to be part of that scene. At least uh, you know out here there was you know there was the the handful of the the twenty four hour restaurants when we were you know in our late teens, early twenties. And, uh, you know, you go to the pool hall and play pool for a few hours and then go, go eat at the shitty breakfast joint at two in the morning. But that died quickly. I grew up in the suburbs, so I wasn't privy 
to a lot of that shit. But one thing that I was privy to was was good parents. And then one of your essays, Dinosaur Skulls, I thoroughly <laughs> enjoyed that. One, it was hilarious. Two, there was a line in there as well that that also struck me. We said, quote, talking to my parents is a joy. Uh, during the coronavirus horror show, I doubly appreciated them. The folks who raised me are a fucking gift. And anyone who anyone who reads that particular piece is assuredly going to enjoy your father because uh, I sure shit did. And my guess is that, you know, he's just an interesting cat. At least that's how it, it read to me. But I'm wondering what it was during the pandemic that that made you appreciate them so much more than you already did because i didn't get to like i've been i haven't lived my my parents in 15 years and so like getting to see my parents are awesome my mom had me i'm 41 my mom's 60 so like my mom had me at 18 to about to turn 19 my dad was 23 so they were kids when they had me and so like yeah. we all kind of grew up together my little brothers are 36 and no. so like we were a young family and so we all kind of mm. like my mom and dad raised us on like black sabbath johnny cash like the allman brothers elmore james bb king muddy waters you know neil young like my dad's yeah. son, alan and like yeah. we're these <laughs> and shit and it's like yeah. my, we're like young rock and roll parents like when grunge hit my mom and dad were in a, my mom's two favorite bands are fucking black sabbath and allison chains no shit <laughs> and that's terrific yeah it's awesome and like my dad like and they love old we were raised on like old country music to blues and rock and roll and so like mm. parents like that we never had to rebel i got into punk rock and my parents were like we get this you know like they weren't into but they were around and they saw it happen you know yeah. and yeah. they were kids but we didn't have to rebel we didn't have to like do wild shit. My mom and dad were just like, yeah, whatever. Like <laughs> to this day, I'm covered in tattoos, and my mom will be like, Why do you have more? And then she like to her, it's just don't tattoo your neck in your hands. She's like, I just want you to look good at my funeral. And oh, Jesus. That's really it. I mean, they're cool. Like yeah. I can tell my mom I went through a gnarly breakup over the summer. Yeah. And I, I didn't spare like a detail with my mom about what had happened. And I told her some super personal shit about the breakup and she was right there front and center, like a friend. And yeah. you know, like, and now my girlfriend now is incredible. She's the best thing that ever happened to me. So like yeah. having all that shit with your parents is awesome because we don't, between the five of us, like there's me and my two brothers, they're twins and like there are no secrets between us and if there is a secret it's because yeah. we're like protecting something that so one of us doesn't get in trouble yeah oh, all right and i like that that's awesome i mean in that that essay again you, you could kind of i could kind of tell the closeness there um in just the way that you obviously appreciate your parents but that was awesome i, lo I love the way that you put that um existential thirst trap comes out may 8th and I implore all three of my listeners to go to barnesandnoble.com to pre-order the book. It'll um, eventually be on Amazon. I'm just waiting for it to pop uh, up on them. I just didn't want to mention Amazon. I'd rather mention Barnes and Noble. Yeah, ready. fuck it. I mean, whatever. It's like it, for okay. you, it's a different animal. I'd rather send folks to Barnes and Noble to buy your shit than to oh, sure. Fucking Amazon thrift books. I mean, you can just mm. just Google me. There's like five places to buy it. 
Perfect. There you go. Google uh, Robert Dean. Um, all right. So let's talk music. You mentioned um, when we first connected that uh, you're a punk rock guy. You mentioned it again. Uh, but one thing you did mention to me is that you have a Pantera tattoo, which I found interesting. The juxtaposition was was interesting. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, just I'd love your thoughts on the the money grab reformation of, of Pantera that's currently, uh, you know, floating about the country. It's I have a very complicated relationship with that band. I love okay. them. They've been my favorite metal band since I was 13 and I'm 41. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've always loved Pantera. I'm a fan. Mm -hmm. And I I understand when people are like, oh, they like, you know, there was some weird times with the band, like a history of the band, like Dimebag playing the Rebel Flag guitar and all that shit. Like, I get that. But at the time, in like 1997, rappers were using the Southern flag because it was just a symbol of the South. There wasn't... Mm -hmm behind it it wasn't this thing like i understand culturally that people have problems with it it became a, it became a recognized symbol of that which it always was but there were times throughout the last century the last 30 years where different people in media had used that flag and so like that you know if you know anything about pantera Dimebag was not a racist, weird dude. Everybody on earth that ever had anything to do with that guy was always like, yeah, he's the best dude ever. I, he's I, the I, nicest fucking guy that any of those people ever met. And that's what you, especially I, when he passed away, that's all you ever heard was just how fucking nice he was. Yeah, I live in Austin, Texas. I'm in Dallas frequently. I know people yeah. who knew him, who know yeah. Pant. I lived in New Orleans. I have met Phil Anselmo multiple mm -hmm. times. And oh, I yeah. know at the guys in down yeah my first meeting was exactly great uh that doesn't surprise me he's an interesting so, cat yeah it's my yeah I ain't putting not in a good blast. way yeah i'm not yeah. putting him on blast for our first meeting but yeah. it, it wasn't cool um but i love that band so like i love down too i love down and pantera down great band love down and, yeah, they're incredible. And I like I said, mm. I love Pantera. To me, calling what they're doing Pantera fucking sucks because <laughs> Zach Wilde is corny as fuck. I mean, sure, he's a nice dude, and I know he was Dime's best friend and all that shit. I get that. But he is not Dimebag Daryl. He's not. No, no, he's not. But the dude can and the dude can shred. Fuck yeah, he can. He's, he yeah. can rip the fuck out of a guitar, but that's mm. besides the, the yep. point. No, is, I don't disagree. Pantera was in the overarching storyline of what Pantera is, is you have a very dramatic singer that people loved. His lyrics are fucking stupid, but he had he had a knack for writing good hooks, writing yeah. things. It it works how he how he structured things. All Pantera is is Van Halen turned to 10. And so think about it. You have an enigmatic front man that everybody loves to fucking model after you have a very talented guitar player his brother plays drums who lives in as his metronome and you have a baseball yeah it's and you have a bass player that's typically yeah. how it goes yeah and that's i find thing. i mean I, I find it very interesting in that um you know the the musicians that are that have slid into you know those two i guess empty slots if for the lack of a better term um they're excellent they're very good I just I think it sort of bastardizes the original Pantera by calling it Pantera, like you right. said. They should come up with a 
call it something else and then play the songs. Fine. You want to do that? I get it. But call it a celebration of Pantera. Something. There you go. Don't bastardize it. But I just think that Phil would never Phil's whole thing was has always been that, you know, Pantera was my maybe he's kind of toned down over the years, but or, or at least since they've both passed away. But his thing when they broke up was Pantera. Oh, it's my band. It's my band. It's my band. That was always his thing. And so I don't know. Is he still doing that? Because and the other thing is Rex never never fucking said anything. Uh, and I'm I I don't know anything about his opinion of this whole thing other than he's on tour with them. So the whole thing th feels very cheap to me. My thing is this. A, you were a band who wrote an entire fucking record called The Great Southern Trend Kill about right. selling out. You're not playing yeah. any of those songs. Right. Of course not. The fucking dollar store. And like when he would like get on and on Pantera Home, dude, we're not going to have any dragons jumping out of the fucking PA. It's just the amps, the drums, and the music, and the guitars. He'd say shit like that. And now they have Funko Pop of them. Get the fuck out of here. If you think this is about anything other than money. Crazy. You're absolutely crazy. I mean, the thing is, they're going to make money doing it. Fuck. Existential Thirst Trap comes out on May 8th. You can pre-order the book at barnesandnoble.com. We froze again. I'm guessing he's going to come back. That was uh, that was some good Pantera talk. I enjoyed that. Van Halen turned up to ten. It's accurate. Nope. Oh, okay, he's gone again. You think he moved into his garage? Ah, there we go. I can hear you. This can you hear the, me? Yeah, we're this is the best. We're in like our third location. I know. Where are you now? The garage. They did okay. I was right. Yeah, you're in the garage. Awesome. Yeah. And now the neighbor kids playing basketball. This is the shit. Yeah, no kidding. This has worked out great. I'm so glad that we did this. This is uh, this is fucking awesome. Um, yeah. All right. So, I mean, that was my you know, overarching Pantera question. I'm glad that you um, had some awesome thoughts about that. So thank you. Now. Um, I do have I, a hot take, though. I think uh -oh. Pantera has. Um, I think Pantera's small output of records are iconic, but I think Down is an overall better band. Well, musically, I would say so. Yeah, technically, they're they're phenomenal. I mean, that's just a I'm trying to think of the right way how how I would describe it. It's just like stoner, metal, crunchy, enjoyable music. At least that's what I always thought about Down. And right on cue, we we frozen again. I hope he moves to another room. I I may not edit any of this. Uh, because it's all, it's all pretty good. Very dimply today, by the way. I'm looking at my face in the camera here. I think maybe my dimples are getting bigger. And I rarely, there we go. Oh, now he's outside. I'm not. Oh, you're not? I'm calling you from my phone. Bucket, where's he doing this? <laughs> this is commitment. Yeah, no shit. I love it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, again, Existential Thirst Trap by Robert Dean comes out May 8th. Uh, you can pre-order on Barnes & Noble. Um, I would like to know what's next. You mentioned, uh, you know, this, the, your fiction that you've written before, but I didn't know if you had anything 
uh, sort of on tap or anything, you know, in your brain that's that you want to get out. I'm, I'm very interested to, to hear about your plans for the future for more projects. So the plan is right now is the, the next six to eight months. This book is my life. I am trying to do every podcast on earth, get reviewed. I just bought, I just crowdsourced uh, $2,400 last week to buy 300 some odd copies. And uh, people showed up for me and really donated. I mean, 2,400 bucks is no, that's a lot just to buy copies a lot of money. that they know, that they, that they know they're, they're not getting anything out of it. That's literally just to help me send these to like the, the New York times and Washington post and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's super cool. But once this book is done, I'm going back and I'm fixing that fiction book, that crime book. I, it's, it's not, it just, it, it, there's some loop, some like holes in there and things like that, that I, plot holes and shit that I need to fix. Once that's done, if that goes off into the ether and I'm never doing fiction again, that's just a wrap. It's like, it's like a white whale that I just have to finish it. Okay. And then after that, um, if this book sells, oh my fucking God, please let this book sell. Um, if this book sells, my my plan is through the follow-up, I'm going to just travel my ass off and I want to do a whole book of travel essays because I'm throughout the book, you can kind of see flavors of that in there. Yeah. And um, I'm just going to write from like my experience going places. And then I'm going to write another book that is very similar to Thirst Trap that is the same kind of stuff where it's kind of a catch all of whatever's going on in my life, but I'm going to write those at the same time. So realistically, my goal is to have a new book out every year and a half for at least the next three books. Nice. Okay. And it's all just going to be essay collections each time. So the aside, fiction, yeah. it'll be the, the fiction, fiction book. book. Of course. Yeah. And then I do have a poetry collection called snakes in the garden. That's going to come out probably sometime in 2024. We've been sitting on it for, fucking forever it's coming out through this company madness art press it's, i've always wanted to write a poetry collection and i did and um but we always wanted to wait until after the essays came out so like yeah. you know who the fuck buys poetry me so i was hoping <laughs> that like it's a limited audience yeah so i wanted to make sure at least if my audience grew and this book sold that maybe we could sell a couple hundred copies of it or more yeah. even better i don't know i'm hope i'm putting every fucking fiber of my being to try to make this book sell right. love it it's awesome but and uh, honestly look i mean to me uh i i've become a bit biased now that i've i've had a chance to to read a lot of it and and uh i love the way that you write so i really do think um you know if if anybody is into any of the authors that you mentioned earlier this is a natural segue uh, into a new voice with a very similar style. So, you know, uh, to any of my listeners out there, if you've listened or read, Jesus Christ, if you've read any, anything that, that Robert had talked about previously, um, I implore you to get this book because you will enjoy it. Plus, he fucking loves Pantera, so that's pretty awesome. I'm down with that. Um, again, bands. Uh, Existential Thirst Trap coming out May 8th. You can order it at Barnes & Noble. Don't order it from the mega bookseller because uh, fuck them. Uh, but listen, uh, I know it's been a bit trying to get through this, but I appreciate your efforts. 
uh yeah thank you very much any, now he's yeah. he's outside of his house now and he's doing it on his phone so yeah i was gonna multiple, say you got anything else we got a tour of the house and we got a tour of his uh front yard here so this is pretty sweet i appreciate yeah, if it there's anything else you want to talk about we can talk about it. i got a steady connection now oh it's true yeah oh i mean what else could i talk to you well all right let's talk about uh let's talk about punk then give me give me your i mean just because you know punk music i'm give me a, your your state of the world um you know in, in punk music who are the punk bands now that i don't know are worth a damn at the moment uh, there's a lot of good ones there's a band called spiritual cramp out of uh san francisco they're great imagine if you took like 70s clash but like a hardcore band at the same time they're like super mm -hmm. gnarly but really they imagine if the clash was playing at a kegger that's what they sound like Oh wow! All right, it's an interesting yes. combo. Spiritual Clash Writing is a great down. one. The Bomb Pops are great if you like pop punk. Um, who I else? Don't. Soul Glow. But I want to ask you about that. What do you, do you like? Pop punk? Are you a pop punk oh, guy? Oh yeah, I love pop punk. It's you should check dude. out. You should check out the show's uh, house band. Uh, they're called the Quiet Violent. They're out of Boston. Uh, nice. They have a new EP coming out as long as uh, their producer Jake gets off his fucking ass and finishes mixing the album. Uh, but you should check them out. It's called The Quiet Violent. Yeah, good I'll bunch check of guys it out for sure. Nice, it's nice. Grow, growing up in Chicago, it's like we kind of have this Venn diagram of music. Like you can mm -hmm. be in the metal, but like one of your friends likes industrial. Like, dude, we're the home of wax tracks. We gave the world Skinny Puppy Ministry and like early Nine Inch mm -hmm. Nails. You know, mm -hmm. so like. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time with punk, we gave you Naked Ray Gun, Screeching Weasel, 88 Fingers Louie, The Bull Weevils, Peg Boy. And then after that, Rise Against, Fall Out Boy, Alkaline Trio. You know, we gave Slapstick. We have The Killing Tree. We had all these other hardcore bands too. So like we have given the world so much punk and like you just kind of learn to like pop punk. And I'm in my 40s, man. Like when uh blink 182 and new phone glory and shit yeah i was a hardcore kid i was going to see converge and going to see like all those bands and like cave in and poison the well and all that stuff i was at those shows but at the same time i was also a, like 22 23 when those records were huge and so like i'm just as old as those dudes in those bands and we would have mm -hmm. fun and go to those shows i mean i saw a lot of those bands and small clubs and stuff and they're fun like that when get up kids first came out that shit was awesome and i was never a punk elitist but go oh, they don't sound like the ramones they're not good it's like fuck that dude those bands are fun yeah. <laughs> nice um what are you gonna say no go ahead keep going punk isn't punk isn't like uh at this point in my life it's a guiding system of like staying true to what that music teaches us and that's what i tried to put in the book is Punk music at this point isn't about fashion for me. It's not even about the bands anymore. It's about there's a certain kind of person that when you feel at home in a room, in a small room with like 400 people losing their fucking minds, having drinks and doing whatever to this band, there's something there. But also there's an ecosystem to it as well of like education of learning who you are. I learned who I was through hardcore music. You know, like there were tables set up for like veganism and human rights and all this other shit. And it's like punk just teaches us a value system that is much more different than the rest of the world does. And so when people say like, oh, I used to listen to punk, I'm like, 
you didn't outgrow you outgrew the ethos that could made you not a piece of shit versus mm -hmm. like accepting the narrative that you're given and i think that's a really important lesson as we get older because my kids are into video games and other shit but all the stuff me and their my ex-wife their mom she went to punk rock shows and that's kind of the basis of who we are as people i don't like walk around with a purple mohawk or some shit but i also <laughs> like a fucking good shined up pair of doc martin still nice see i can i appreciate the scene and obviously the value system i appreciate that as well i just i've never got into the bands i don't know what it was i don't know why just never did um that line you just said though where someone says that i used to listen to punk and then you know your your retort was you outgrew the ethos that now makes you a piece of shit i love that uh you should write that down that was excellent nicely done i appreciate you yeah um <clears throat> coming from chicago and I, I'm uh, well aware of the of the music scene in Chicago and all the bands that have come out of there and sort of the reactions, that, especially the metal bands that I, you know, have always liked. Um, whenever they go to Chicago, it's always a big deal just because you know, the crowds are great. Um, what what makes that? I mean, is it is it just the way that um, you're just kind of going back to what you said, where it, it's just the makeup of the crowd? But how is it and why is it that crowds in Chicago just are are so passionate? about metal and about punk i don't know if there was any particular reason that you could cite um i would say chicago is a working class town our identity is based on like being working class you can find the most white collar dude in the chicago land area and they still identify with working class values that's why like a band like social distortion comes to chicago they're playing three sold out thousand person shows a lot of bands like metal is a kind of a hard-working kind of music a lot mm -hmm. of different people listen to that music but chances are they swing a hammer you know or they're doing something with their hands they're getting that aggression out and when you come from this place that rewards hard work and being dedicated it just makes sense because metal is such a passionate community of people that like mm -hmm. you're, you're never gonna find a more by the fucking blood group of people than metalheads the mother those motherfuckers love their bands like you go see i fucking hate iron maiden but you go see iron maiden man those people are lined up to buy every t-shirt possible they're pumping their fists singing along selling out every show they go to putting gas just, in the jet for them yeah for sure yeah i mean in just the same of you see these bands that even that are way past their prime fucking you know i don't like anthrax but you know what anthrax is still playing a sold out show in chicago I just and, saw Anthrax last weekend. They put on a yeah. fucking hell of a show. I'm I like John Bush Anthrax. I don't like Joey Belladonna See? Anthrax. As do I. I. I knew I liked you, man. That is, John Bush is my guy. Love John Bush. Armored Saint, great band. Uh, John Bush, it, Joey Belladonna. Honestly, I walked into that and I'm like, if this dude fucking can't sing, I'm leaving. Uh, it was okay, but uh, yeah, not that great. I just but. I. I absolutely, with, I'm not saying they sound like this, but it, there is some crossover. With my entire heart and fucking soul, I hate 80s hair metal so much. Yeah. I hate it so much. I fucking hate Guns N' Roses. I fucking hate Warrant, Poison, all that shit. So, fucking, I hate Skid Row, Motley Crue. I fucking hate it all. I'm not oh, saying awesome. yeah. that Anthrax sounds like that, but mm -hmm. if there was a kissing cousin to it, 
it's it's Joey Belladonna sings, and I also fucking hate Merciful Fate, and I don't like, uh, I don't like thrash, any of that shit. So, all that stuff, like it's just Anthrax is just when I hear it, I'm like, Ugh. like I said, I, I don't like <laughs> Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden's fun for like two minutes, and then it's all that happy galloping shit. I want metal to be about violence, dude. I want to hear either Black Sabbath fucking just murdering it all doomy, or no singing, just violence, some shit like nails or like death metal. Like if you're going to play metal for me, I want like future breed machine by Meshuggah, just straight motherfucking people ripping the soul off the, the bones. Oh, that's great. That's fantastic. I love that. Great answer. Yeah, like, Thank like, you. I don't want to, I don't want to hear like, dude, when somebody's like, Oh, we're having this party and it, all we're playing is like, skid row and the hits from the 80s i'm like like i don't even sounds i like some of that shit and i probably wouldn't go to that party so i'd rather fucking i just stay home um smart i like slayer i like slayer tunes but i hate the way carrie king plays guitar why is that his solos ruin the songs oh that's an interesting take right now they do they sound like shit i'll Dude, you'll be the only the only redeeming quality to his guitar playing is he was involved in the writing process. And all the best Slayer songs, Jeff Hanman wrote them all. Um, that's I get I could see that. I Jeff Hanman wrote Rain and Blood. Jeff Hanman wrote Dead Skin mm-hmm. Mask. Jeff Hanman wrote uh, Seasons in the Abyss. He wrote uh, all that shit. And I like and you get like you're. Think about uh, Ditto Head. That song rules. And then all of a sudden they get to the, it's super fast and aggressive. And then the solo comes in. It totally takes you out of it. Just like Rain and Blood. It's this, you're moving right along. And then this solo is just this jarring thing. That's why so many people, Carrie King is good, but he's never put in that, he's never ever put in that spectrum with like Dave Mustaine, Kirk Hammett, or Dimebag because those dudes' solos, yeah, I'm not a Megadeth guy, but. Megadeth solos are tasteful and they flow right into the like the tenor of the music. Fucking every time Carrie King solos, it's always just like foot stomp, it's like dun dun, and then they have to like lead into a new part for that solo, and then they go mm-hmm. back to the rhythm of the song. Yeah, I like the way you put that. That's good. Uh, you know, it makes sense. I can certainly see that. Um, I don't think I would have said ruin the songs. I could see, like, if you said, you know, obviously change the songs for sure, but Ruin is not, oh. is probably not, the, and, and look, I'm not, like, super Slayer guy by any means, but um, I can certainly see your point. That's a, but I've just, I've never heard that. I like the way I that you said that. I've died on this hill for, like, 30 years, and I do not care. <laughs> I do not give a fuck. And I've, I've watched Slayer from the side of the stage with Dave yeah. Lombardo still in it and Jeff Hanman. Yeah. <laughs> Did you did you express your feelings to the band themselves from the side of the stage? No, I mean it was cool to watch them. They're Slayer. I get it. Yeah. I like Slayer tunes. Who mm. who doesn't like hearing fucking Rain and Blood? Everyone yeah. does. Right. But I, I don't disagree. Like I said, it just the solos take me out of the song, and I'm like, it's great. I it's just great. I I hate that about them. It's like mm. I'll be grooving it because there there's some you know it's awesome. Like Dead Skin mm. Mask is a good song or War Ensemble. And then it's like the solo comes in and just it's it removes me. Mm. I think that's a know. good place. It, that's, that's a good spot to end it. Uh on a high note. 
on the hill that you plan to die on. And uh, I, I enjoy that. I love Flag that. Flag is fucking uh, <laughs> Existential Thirst Trap comes out May 8th. Uh, go to barnesandnoble.com to pre-order your book. Uh, Robert, thank you so much for uh, maneuvering all of your tech around your house and in your yard as the sun goes down behind you. And uh, I very much appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for having me. And for everybody listening, I always end when I do appearances on one thing. There are a whole lot of fucking assholes in this world. Do something kind for someone tomorrow. It'll make the difference. How profound. Love that. You go from Terry King sucks to that. That is <laughs> that's some range. Nicely done. Thank you so much, bud. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. All right. I hope you uh, all enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Uh, he is an interesting dude. And no joke, the book that he put out is excellent. And I, uh, I said uh, during my uh, one of our breaks there where his, his uh, connection shit the bed, it, that literally, I mean, I, I did very little editing to that. I took out a lot of blank spaces and, and shit to just try to cut down the time. But I mean, for the most part, that's pretty much how it went. And he legitimately changed rooms, I think, three times, went out to his garage, and then finally just went outside and said, fuck it, I'm just going to use my phone. So it was good. Anyways, uh, when he was talking about all the like the authors that were his influence, uh, like Thompson and Sedaris and, and um, Bukowski, his writing is not far off, like at all. It's very good. It and it, it reads like he speaks. So uh, the stories that he tells are very interesting. There's a lot of stuff in there. Again, and I mentioned it too, having not been privy uh, to growing up or even, you know, been lucky enough to spend uh, a ton of time in Chicago, New Orleans, or, or Austin. You know, those are those are places that I uh, in New Orleans and Austin, I've I've unfortunately I've I've been to I've been to Austin. I can't remember. New Orleans. I've never been to New Orleans. It's a, it's a, don't know why I've never done that, but in Chicago, the handful of times I've been to Chicago, I love Chicago. Great town. Um, so, you know, not having been privy to spending time in those places, it's a very interesting read. So you get a very good look at how, um, you know, how folks that are, I don't want to say struggling, that's the wrong word, but you know, that are, that are, like me, I guess is probably the best way to put it. You know, um, it was it was very good, and so I definitely strongly suggest that you go check out the uh, the book, Existential Thirst Trap, May eighth, BarnesandNoble.com. I tried to say that like seven times throughout the course of the interview. I think I only got to six. Then again, with all the uh, you know, changes and whatnot. I think I got up to seven, maybe even more than that. But anyways, I was, I wanted to get that point across. Like he was nice enough to take the time and spend like 40 minutes talking to my stupid ass. So the very least that I can do is plug his book a bunch of times and keep plugging his book for a little while. So, you know, huge shout out. Thank you, Robert Dean. You can follow him on Instagram. His handle is at literally 
Robert Dean. It's the word literally, Robert Dean. One word, all one thing, literally, Robert Dean. I realized after I listened back to that, I was like, wait a minute. If people are going to just you know try to follow Robert Dean. It's not going to be the same guy. Hmm. Anywho. Um, <clears throat> I do have a couple of voicemails, but before I get to voicemails, a shout out. And happy belated birthday to P1 complainer, Heather. Uh, I hope your day was annoying enough to call in and voice that frustration. But happy birthday. Uh, I have two voicemails. And I'm very much looking forward to these. I think they're going to be good. Fingers crossed, right? Huh? Right? Hello, Dave. It is Hal Jordan. Protector of Space Sector 2841. Listen, every three years, I toggle from being in really good shape to a fat fuck. And even when I'm at my fattiest fuckiest, I really make an effort whenever I can to get out of the car and walk in to a restaurant to get my kids, like, you know, whatever crap I'm letting me eat, like Taco Bell, for instance, or Dunkin'. My complaint is it seems that there's 10 people working at a at a fast food place at once, 11 of them are focused on the drive-thru. So there can be 12 cars in the drive-thru, and you walk your fat ass in, and you have to truly lasso somebody over to help you, and it takes four times longer than it would have if you sat on your ass and went through the drive-thru. I think my biggest complaint is the little effort that you made to walk in should be maybe not rewarded, but at least not treat it like a leper. Like, what are you doing here? Like, sometimes the look of shock that somebody actually made the incredulous journey from their car the 20 steps in, you know, almost worth the four calories I burned off doing it. But uh, but that is both a complaint, I guess, and an observation. I'll let you get on with your day. But please, don't forget. Al Jordan, thank you very much for calling. Uh, it's not often that, um, uh, you know, secondary DC superheroes uh, call into the show with a complaint. Here's the thing, okay? I understand this complaint because I fucking hate it when I go to Dunkin' Donuts and I try. All right, let me let me let me back up. Thank you, Hal Jordan, for calling in. Greatly appreciate it. It's not often that secondary DC superheroes call in with a complaint. So, on like Saturday or Sunday mornings, uh, one of the two, uh, the wife and I have decided that we're no longer going to go out for breakfast to our usual breakfast spot just because the cost has become so fucking ridiculous. It's stupid, but whatever. So, instead, we're going to Dunkin' Donuts. Not a huge improvement, but. So, I will go. Uh, and I, I'm I'm picking up breakfast now for three people. So it's myself, my wife, my mother-in-law. Okay, we all want something. So I don't want to be the asshole that goes through drive-through and orders too much shit. That is the worst of the worst when you are when you're uh, you know a fast food employee. Okay, the second worst are just the people that come in. Period. Because yes, hell, 
The drive-thru is the most important aspect of the fast food business. It is all about volume. And if you or I walk into an establishment, you're taking people away from the drive-thru situation. They do not care that you burn four calories walking in. You are indeed a leper. Because they'll look at you and say, why the fuck did this guy come in and not go in the drive-thru? I understand completely the uh, the lack of attention that you receive when you walk in. There is a Dunkin' Donuts down the street from my house that when you walk in there, there's literally no tables. There's no tables in there. They remodeled this restaurant not too long ago. And you cannot sit down inside of the Dunkin' Donuts. You cannot. There is no seating. None. It is a it's a drive-through and uh app order pickup location. That's it. And that's that's where fast food is going as a whole. It sooner rather than later, you're not going to be able to actually sit down in a fast food restaurant. It's coming. So, Hal, if you think this is a problem now, wait. Wait five, ten years. When your kids are taking your <laughs> portly green ringed behind uh, to Taco Bell, and you literally cannot go in to order anymore. Like you, you're going to be forced into the drive-through. Solid complaint, like legitimate complaint. I also like the term fattiest, fuckiest. <laughs> Uh, don't go to Taco Bell. God, I fucking hate Taco Bell. Oh, man. And I am uh, one of the fattiest fuckiest, and I cannot stand Taco Bell. I just I just fucking hate it. It's just not good. Like, it's not anything approaching good. Some places will literally have somebody standing at a regist register. Like, waiting for people to come in. But then even that person gets, you know, tied up working with the drive-thru. They just want to crank people out. Next time you're inside of a, a fast food restaurant, look over into the drive-thru section, and you'll see, like, a digital clock or a timer or a screen that has all the fucking times on it for, for how long it's taking people to get through. Like, the amount of time and effort that these companies spend on that... On, on the amount of time it takes to get cars through the drive-thru. It's astounding. I don't know why. Why am I talking about this? Fucking Ajax. Why did you call in with that? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it'll, you know, the more you dig into the fast food industry, the more you'll be very interested. It is a rabbit hole that is very difficult to climb out of. Because it just, it really leaves you questioning uh, American society and values as a whole. So if you really want to be depressed, look into um, not so much, and I'm going to say this, and I'm going to preface this by saying that McDonald's really does sort of pay the bills around here. So <laughs> every place but McDonald's, McDonald's sort of still kind of does it right. So we're going to going to leave it at that. But yeah, dig into like Dunkin' Donuts, especially. Man, that is bad. Anywho, 
if you want to be part of the show, 617-657-4736 or 617-65-RIP-EM. That's right. That's who this next guy called, 65-RIP-EM. That was what I used to say. And then I realized it was a little bit easier to say the numbers because people can't look at a uh, look at the, the alphabet on a phone keypad anymore. 617 65 rip them 617 657 4736. Check it out, David. How are you? I figure I call in every yeah, 75 shows or so, so I was due. But uh, I've had a uh, an observation, and this has really been bothering me for about two decades. Uh, anytime. I order a sub. It doesn't matter from where. It doesn't matter what kind of sub. These sub makers are apparently incapable of cutting the sub completely in half. Jesus, fuck. All right, I got a second complaint too, a little bonus one after this sub complaint. That's my fucking problem. They don't cut these subs in half. I'm tearing this goddamn loaf of bread apart. It, it's a real pain in the ass, and it's been that way for most of my life. And um, I would just like them to cut the sub all the way through and then wrap it, okay? I, I really don't know. I understand how this is a problem, but it, it's it's uh, irritated me enough of that shit. And uh, sub complaint, what the fuck is with these people? I'm driving, as you can tell, on the expressway out of Boston, and uh, these fuckers really don't understand the merging process. And it's mainly these assholes in the HOV lane that are trying to come back into the civilized lanes. And uh, it's a zipper effect. One, 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 one. Everyone knows this. Jesus Christ. These assholes are beeping. They don't know what they're doing. They're hitting this guide rail. Another thing, why are these people in the HOV lane? Like, who drives to work with a buddy? Don't most people go to work on their own? I don't think people carpool anymore, right? Isn't that like back in the 50s or something? Jesus Christ. Like, these people, they car full of people at rush hour in and out of Boston. I don't understand. You can't tell me you're all working the same place and driving the same fucking car. Anyways, uh, that's, uh, you got an extra complaint there. So I guess uh, that come off the hook for maybe another 150 shows. But, uh, yeah, anyways, goodbye. There's a lot to unwrap there. And uh, thank you, Matthew, for calling in. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, he was, uh, he let me know over the weekend that he had a complaint. Uh, and I had to um, to remind him that he told me he had a complaint. And I'm glad that he did. I'm glad that he called that in. Blah, blah, blah. Here's the thing, right? This is something that's always bothered me, too. One, number one, he's 1,000% correct. How many times do you order a sub and, you know, one end is way bigger than the other or one end is like stuffed with shit and the other end is just like, you know, a condiment and a piece of cheese. It really fucking annoys the shit out of me when the knife never goes through the entirety of the sandwich. Why even bother? Just leave it one giant fucking sub then if that's the thing. They should ask you if you want it cut. Maybe you don't. Maybe some people don't want to cut. I don't know. But then there's the people that they'll wrap it and then cut it. 
and then wrap it again. So now they're wasting uh, a piece of wax paper that doesn't need to be wasted, just contributing to the fucking rubbish problem in this town. But just, just, you know, make the sandwich, cut it in half, in the middle of the fucking roll. It's like, you can see what you're working with here, right? It doesn't take, uh, it doesn't take a, a fucking scientist to figure out, if you have a 12-inch sub, you, you cut it at the 6-inch mark. And I don't, I don't want you to pull out a ruler, I just want you to look at it and see the middle and cut it all the way through. I don't understand it. It's something that, you know, I'm with Matt. I've never understood why there's no uniform system of cutting subs or hoagies or uh, what else? What else are they fucking called? I don't know. Sandwiches. <laughs> they should be teaching that in high school. How to fucking cut a sandwich. That's stupid, Dave. <laughs> Oh man. Um <clears throat> it, then there was like a, a I, I liked how he didn't catch the like he said sub complaint. Hello, you just complained about subs. <laughs> that was terrible. Uh the zipper lane thing. Zipper lane, listen to me. The 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 HOV lane. Uh that never fails. That that end uh of the expressway when when you have to merge, like if you're in the HOV lane, you have to merge into regular normal traffic. That's always a hassle. There's always multiple people being fucking shitty in that spot. It just never fails, right? Uh, on the flip side, how the fuck do you not realize that people carpool? Well, what what fucking planet do you live on? That's that's asinine. Who drives to work with a buddy? Lots of fucking people do. Do you know how much it fucking costs to park in the city? Way too much money. So yeah, you're going to fucking carpool. My brother works in town. He's been working in town for years. He fucking, he's been driving with people he works with all the time. They go to the park and ride. Do you know what the park and ride is? That's actually a thing. You park, and then you ride. That's how it works. I can't believe you don't fucking realize that people carpool. Why do you think there's a carpool lane? What do you think, they just threw that there for shits and giggles? Come on, man. What the fuck are you doing? Drive to work with a buddy. Yeah. Yeah, they do. On occasion. I drove to work today. It cost me fucking $26 to park. $26 to fucking park my car in a garage. In fact, now that I think of it, uh, my current employer uh, has just stated that they're going to be uh, setting up like a, uh, a carpooling thing where basically it's a you know, you say, hey, I live in such and such. I live in so and so. And then people connect and carpool. Whoa. That's a very elitist thing uh, for you to say, Matthew. 
So yeah, people drive to work with a buddy all the time. <laughs> All right. Um, as it is uh, Wednesday, it is time for everyone's favorite part of the program. It is the end, and it is time for three gripes. Three gripes. Uh, gripe number one, greeting cards. Uh, I'm fairly certain that greeting cards have been a gripe of mine on multiple occasions. Multiple uh, the only reason it's come up again is because, um, as you uh, may or may not be aware, last week was Valentine's Day, which is uh, entirely a greeting card creation. Uh, and then um, the candy industry climbed on board, and then the pajama industry got involved, and the restaurant industry tacked on. So... If you're still falling for the Valentine's Day fallacy, shame on you, all right? Uh, you should be uh, treating your loved one uh, the same every day with, with love and appreciation and, uh, and, and sharing that emotion with them on a daily basis. And these should be words that come from your mouth, not from the inside of an overpriced greeting card. I've always said that greeting cards are nothing more than uh, expensive kindling. And I just can't, for the life of me, figure out the appeal. I just can't. If I go to the store, okay, and pull a, a, a greeting card out, put my name, write my name in it, and then uh, put it in the envelope and hand it to you, why does that hold more uh, cachet than me uh, expressing my, my thoughts to you uh, either once, daily, weekly, whatever. Same as, uh, you know, my condolences or my uh, well wishes or my get well soons or my congratulatory uh, thoughts, I don't know. Congratulatory thoughts, that sounded weird. Why do I need to spend at minimum $2 to express those feelings when a phone call or a text message is probably even better than anything that's going to be uh, pre-printed and mass-produced for suckers to buy? Uh, my mother is a big greeting card proponent. My wife is a big greeting card proponent. My wife mails birthday cards to people. Now, here's my thing, okay? If you're willing to make the effort to mail something, why not write a letter that says, you know, what is written in this greeting card? What are they supposed to do with it when they get it? Display it somewhere? For how long? What's the cutoff time? Is it a week? Is it a month? And then what do you do? You put it in the recycling bin, right? Because that's where it belongs, in the trash. Here's a better idea, okay? Take a piece of paper and write in it what you want to say. Whether it's just happy birthday, 
uh, get well soon or anything like that. Just write that. Sign your name. Take two, two $1 bills and include them with that letter. Put it in the envelope and mail it off. The person who receives that is going to open that and say, Oh my God, what on earth is this shit? And then when they reach out, because they're, they're going to reach out, because now they're like, what in the hell is this? You can say, hey, instead of me buying a card, I told you exactly what I wanted to tell you, and then included the $2 that I would have spent on the card, or the, the $5, which is the going rate. So unless you're going to the dollar store and getting uh, a card for 2 bucks or a dollar, whatever it is that you pay. Now they have that $2. And they can do with it as they please. Imagine that. Isn't that a much better solution? We could take down the entire greeting card industry just by doing that. That is a fucking fabulous idea, by the way. Fabulous idea. I will not hear uh, otherwise. That's a great idea. We're going to destroy the greeting card industry one holiday at a time. One holiday and two bucks in an envelope at a time. God, sometimes I amaze myself with the absolute pure brilliance that spews forth on this program. God damn, that's a great idea. Love it. Gripe number two, being awkward to servers. Uh, I am guilty of this. And um, not in a malicious way. So I figured I would include myself and wrap it up uh, neatly to the way that I sort of look at people who do the same kind of shit that I did the other night when we went to dinner. We're at a Mexican restaurant, very busy place, constant, uh, you know, tables are being turned over regularly. These servers are being just worked to the bone. Girl comes over and says, hi, I'm so-and-so, and I'll be your server. How shitty is this reply when I send... <laughs> Quote, hi, I'm Dave, and I'll be your customer. End quote. How fucking awful is that? <laughs> that blows. And you know what's funny is that I... Uh, I, I should have said servee instead of customer. That would have made it ten times worse. Oh, yuck. <laughs> servee. Ugh. It's not a good gag, right? I mean, it's not the worst gag, and it's not the worst thing that she's ever heard. Not even fucking close. But, you know, before I even said it, I should have realized a few things. One, she's probably heard that before, okay? I'm, I'm not coming up with an original take here. She's probably even heard serve E before. But she's heard it already. She doesn't need it. Two, she didn't think it was funny. At all. 
In fact, she probably went back into the kitchen. She's like, you're never going to believe what this fucking fat asshole said to me just now. <laughs> and three, she doesn't really give a fuck. Christ, this girl couldn't have been older than, than 20, 21 years old. She's a server in a Mexican restaurant. She's just there to fucking make tips and move on. That's it. This is not her life's work. She doesn't need fucking assholes like me. And it, here's the thing. I, I'm going to take that back. I wasn't being an asshole, right? I was being an unfunny douche, I guess is probably the... Because it wasn't malicious. It's not like I was like, oh, fuck you. Boys, bring me a fucking margarita. <laughs> it was just it was just dumb. That's all. I just can't. I've never been a server before, okay? Worked in fast food. And the thing about fast food is that, you know, as I mentioned, the constant uh, volume helps, you know, it limits the amount of exposure you have to, to customers, okay? Like now, being in sales, it's an extended exposure to clients, um, I'm very thankful that in my current role, my, you know, the, the people that are calling me want to call me. So it's not as a, it's not a need thing. It's a want thing. So it's, it's a different type of sales. And I think I mentioned this before, but anyways, so, uh, you know, that limited exposure or the extended limited, limited exposure that a server has to their customers, they don't need any of that crap. And fucking douchebags like me should not be saying crap like that. Just thank you. Appreciate it. Here's your tip. Thanks for the food. Ciao. That's it. That's how that's how the interaction should go. It doesn't need to be any more. If they, uh, if they come to the table and they act all like, you know, 80 pieces of flair and like fucking that kid Brian from uh, Office Space, fuck that guy. If you get a server like that, then you can be a prick. Because he's a phony. Anyways. <sighs> Grape number three. Cottage cheese. Who the fuck sits around eating this shit? I have never in my life seen that happen. Or even come close to happen. Never mind just the thought of somebody buying these cottage cheese cups. And just sitting there laughing it up like I saw in this commercial the other day. Multiple people in these commercials eating this shit. One, it's gross. It tastes terrible. Two, it looks like fucking vomit. Does it not? Oh, it does. It looks fucking horrible. Terrible. Do you know anybody that eats cottage cheese out of one of these little cups? No. If you're one of those people... It's your fault that I have to see these fucking commercials. Daisy Cottage Cheese. Because when you want a fucking disgusting snack, we've got one for you. It's fucking gross. Cottage cheese. Curdled, curled garbage. <laughs> All right. Uh, so thankfully, that is the end of the program. Um, it didn't go two hours, but it, it you know... It got kind of close. So as this is um, the 150th episode of the program, I do want to take a couple minutes to say thank you to a great number of people 
a handful of folks that have, um, you know, been around for a while or, or been around just recently. So uh, all of my friends, Matt, Jeff, uh, thank you guys for, for listening occasionally. I know Matt listens all the time. Uh, Jeff probably stopped listening, but, you know, thank you anyway. Uh, Mark, John, Mark, all three of you guys, thank you so much for listening. Uh, it means a lot. It really does. Um, uh, Donnie, thank you so much for listening. Uh, who else listens on, on occasion? Um, AP Dave used to listen all the time, but he hates me now. Um, who else? <laughs> uh, well, you know, Jacques and the the kind of the podcast guys of, of late uh, have been on board. So thank you. Uh, my old manager, Tim, who listened a couple times. Thanks, Tim. Um, nobody that I work with currently, um, I think has any clue that I do this and I'm going to try to drag that over as long as I can, uh, just so they don't look at me like I'm a fucking weirdo. Uh, I'd also like to thank my darling wife, Jennifer. Thank you so much for, I think she's given up on the program and, you know, smart, uh, of her to do so. And then there's a bunch of people that, uh, that listen to the program that, you know, either I kind of know or don't know. Um, and if I'm forgetting you, look, it, it's only because I'm a fucking idiot. Okay. It's, it's not a dig. It's not a slight. Uh, I'm just a moron. And if you've listened to the show long enough, you know, that's the case. But, um, I, you know, I thoroughly have, I have way too much fun doing this, even though I find it to be occasionally a grind, but man, I just, when I say that I love talking into a microphone, I'm not even kidding. It, it, I wish I had some shred of talent where I could do something like this um, regularly and, and you know, profit from it, but I don't. I do way too much of this crap. Like the number of times I talk into a microphone and get nothing out of it, like, um, that's not the right way to put it. I get a lot out of this, but nothing, nothing that can pay the electric bill, I guess. I don't know. That's probably the wrong way to put it, but, you know. Uh, the, you know, the, I host a trivia gig talking to a microphone there. Uh, you know, I, I, I am an ordained minister. I, and I, there was a stretch there where I was doing weddings for, uh, uh, for a while. Uh, so I've done that a number of times that involves talking to a microphone. I thoroughly enjoy that. Uh, you know, I've done the, 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 the emceeing at a, uh, charity golf tournament, um, on a handful of occasions. I love doing that. Uh, if I had any shred of talent whatsoever, I would try to do it more. Um, the it, it just feels good to have that microphone. I like having that sort of, it's not even a power, that's the wrong word for it. But, you know, theoretically, when you hold a microphone, people look at you and they kind of pay attention. And so throughout the course of my life, no one has really paid much attention to me. So I've always felt that if I had a microphone in my hand, I'm almost forcing people to do so. Granted, they're getting nothing out of it, but still, uh, it means a lot. Uh, even if it, if this is the very first time you've decided to journey over here and listen to this crap, thank you. Um, you know, if if you've been listening for a while, thank you. I don't know. I really don't know how to say thank you enough. I just I can't other than other than thank you, and then other to ask for you to tell your fucking friends. If you don't have friends. Uh, tell strangers. If you want some stickers, let me know. I'll mail you some stickers. Still have some left. I can order some more. Um, and then, uh, when you're done with that, um, 
Uh, go to uh, at Complaints Pod on Twitter, at Complaints Pod on Instagram. You can follow me there. Uh, I regularly post on Twitter. Um, I do post on Instagram, not nearly as much as I probably should to increase uh, a, a meager engagement rate, but whatever. Uh, I do have a Facebook page, but fuck Facebook. I really don't care for Facebook. I just don't like it. Um, what else? I have a Twitch channel that I can't figure out, a YouTube page that I don't use. You can find me on Post or Mastodon or any of those uh, you know, off-brand social media channels that are heavily, not edited, that's the wrong word for it, but you know, stuffy and puritanical. Um, you can call into the show and leave a complaint anonymously. If you want to leave your name, that's fine. If I know who you are, I'm going to say who you are. If I don't, even better. 617-657-4736. You can call into the show. Uh, and also a big massive thank you to all the poor souls who have chosen to be on the program over the years. Um, and I, geez, Christ, over the years, that's legit. Yeah, wow. Uh, this is not the end, so don't assume that by, you know, all these things. It's just that this is a, uh, you know, a, a, it's a round number, 150. So I figured I would take the opportunity to to thank folks. If you've been on the show, uh, thank you so much. Um, you know, the folks that I've interviewed, uh, it's, it's greatly appreciated. I love it. I love interviewing people. I wish I could interview more, but you know, I don't put enough time and effort into this thing and I don't know enough interesting people. That's no knock on all the people that I've mentioned. <laughs> uh, if you want to be on the show, let me know. Love to have you. You can talk about anything you fucking want. If you know somebody that's plugging something, if you know somebody that owns a business uh, and they want to be on the show, I don't like reaching out to people that I know and saying, hey, do you want to be on the show? It's a little, it's a bit off-putting. But, you know, if you want to be on the show or if you know someone that wants to be on the show, please send them my way. We'll have a nice conversation. Uh, and again, we'll talk about anything you fucking want. It's the, that's the joy of this program. It's not about anything, and it's not even that good. So there you go. So thank you again. It's always appreciated. And, uh, yeah. So, listen, um, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Godspeed. Ta-ta. <laughs>